This is Angus. Welcome to Angus's Appendices, a Kirby's Kids one-shot. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening. Today, we're going to delve into Captain Marvel number 18, Vengeance is Mine. This is the issue where Carol Danvers would gain her powers and eventually transform into Ms. Marvel, and later into Captain Marvel after the death of Marvel. So let's move over to a little creative chatter where we'll discuss the writer and artist of Captain Marvel number 18, Vengeance is Mine. Whoever is this artist and this writer, I must meet them. Creative chatter. Our writer for this particular issue is none other than Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas was the second editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. He succeeded Stan Lee. He was also a writer and legendary creator. Some of his creations include Wolverine, Carol Danvers, who would eventually become Captain Marvel, Ghost Rider, Vision, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Valkyrie, Morbius, Doc Samson, and Ultron. Roy also worked for Archie, Charlton, and DC, among others, over the years. He was editor for Marvel Comics in the early 70s, taking over for Lee. He wrote for several titles at Marvel, such as Avengers, Thor, Invaders, Fantastic Four, X-Men, and notably, Conan the Barbarian. However, my first encounter with Roy Thomas was through his work in Star Wars comics. So I have a very nostalgic love for Thomas's work in general as both a writer and creator. Next, we'll move over to our artists. And there were two principal artists for this particular issue. Our first is Gil Kane. He is a comic book legend who worked through the gold, silver, bronze, copper, and modern ages of comics. A legendary creator of Hal Jordan, Iron Fist, Abin Sur, Adam, Guy Gardner, and Sinestro, just to name a few. He was born Eli Katz, in Miami, Florida. He worked under the name Gil Kane, and in a few instances, Scott Edwards. He was a comic book artist whose career spanned from the 1940s to the 1990s, and every major comics company and character he touched. Kane co-created the modern-day versions of the superheroes Green Lantern and the Atom for DC Comics, and co-created Iron Fist with Roy Thomas over at Marvel. He was involved in such major storylines as the groundbreaking arc in The Amazing Spider-Man, numbers 96 through 98, which ran from May through July 1971. At the behest of the United States Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, they then bucked the prevalent Comics Code Authority to depict drug abuse and ultimately spurred an update to the Comics Code. Enough cannot be said about those groundbreaking issues and how it started a dialogue with respect to drug abuse and drug cultures. Kane additionally pioneered an early graphic novel prototype. His name is Savage. In 1968, and then a seminal graphic novel, yes, folks, a graphic novel called Black Mark in 1971, which many have credited as make putting the blueprint out there for what would become the modern-day graphic novel. In 1997, he was inducted into both the Will Eisner Comic Book Hall of Fame and the Harvey Award Jack Kirby Hall of Fame. His partner in the art for this particular issue, again, that being Captain Marvel number 18, is John Buscema. Big John was a comic book artist whose talent made him an industry leader throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s in such Marvel's titles as Conan the Barbarian and The Silver Surfer. The Silver Surfer is where I first saw John's work. Having worked on nearly every major Marvel title throughout his prolific career, Big John Buscema had a 
great influence on the comic industry. His distinctive style and ability to flesh out characters visually helped bring a whole new generation of readers to the comic genre. And indeed, I was one of those readers. He had runs drawing company staples such as The Amazing Spider-Man, The Avengers, Daredevil, The Fantastic Four, Wolverine, and The Mighty Thor, as well as classics such as Tarzan, Doc Savage, and Howard the Duck. He also translated Marvin Wolfman's character concepts for the man called Nova into comic book life by fully realizing Wolfman's rudimentary design for the character. John began drawing comics in the 1950s and continued working for six decades and finally finishing up with DC Comics for the first time in 2000. His last work was completing a drawing for the first issue of Justice League of America, Barbarians. Now let's move over onto our literary aisle where we'll get into a little exploration and discussion of Captain Marvel number 18. Our land there's our literary aisle. Captain Marvel number 18 is quite an interesting animal. It's actually broken into two different story parts, and that becomes a little bit problematic. But before I get into that, let's define our main characters. First, we have Marvell, also known as Captain Marvel, Rick Jones, and of course, Carol Danvers. Those are our heroes or the villains are Yon Rog, which many will be familiar if you've listened to our previous podcast on Captain Marvel. That is the arch nemesis of Marvel, also a fellow Cree, and this creation called the Mandroid. So the story is quite interesting. It's Yon Rog once again plotting against Marvel. Uh, Marvel takes Rick Jones to the nearest city and allows Rick to switch places. Now you're saying, wait, switch places? Well, here's what happened. In between that first Captain Marvel issue and now number 18, somehow Marvel or Captain Marvel is trapped in the dreaded negative zone. And the only way he can travel is by bonding or linking to Rick Jones. So Rick slams together two ancient Kree bands on his wrists, and the two of them exchange places for a time. Entering into a bar, Rick finds his desire to play music uh, for an audience and manages to convince the music act that's playing there to let him go on stage. The crowd reaction's mixed, and he even encounters a heckler along the way. However, that happens to be a music promoter who agrees to set Rick up with some gigs and begin to promote him. However, Rick declines this as Captain Marvell or Marvell deduces the actual location of Yon Rog and asks Rick to switch places yet once again so he can go pursue Yon Rog, who is keeping Carol Danvers captive. So where this goes now is it switches up in, in story and now becomes Captain Marvel or Marvel's story in pursuit of Carol Danvers and going in to defeat Yon Rog and whatever Yon Rog has plan for him. So he finds them in an abandoned Kree outpost on Earth where there is a psych magnetron, a device that's long since been banned by the Kree Empire. Apparently it's been stashed here. Yon Rog uses this device to create the Mandroid robot. When Marvell arrives to save Carol, he has to face both the Mandroid and Yon Rog. During the battle, Carol is injured and the psych magnetron is damaged. Marvell destroys the Mandroid and manages to escape as the Psych Magnetron explodes, killing Yon Rog in the process. But Marvell manages to get far enough away that he's only mildly stunned by the blast. With this battle now over, Marvell changes places with Rick, who is just as physically exhausted as Marvell because, again, they're sharing that link or that connection. And he collapses on the ground, and that finishes out this particular issue. Now, what's interesting 
and landmark about this issue is that this is the issue where Carol Danvers' exposure to the exploding psych magnetron would be the source of the powers that would cause her to become the superheroine Ms. Marvel, and then eventually Captain Marvel. However, Nowhere in this story is that explicitly said or even implied that this would actually end up being revealed in later issues. But nonetheless, it laid that groundwork for that reveal. Overall, this story is fairly average. It actually, again, as I mentioned before, is two stories that as a result had the book suffer from some pacing issues, in my opinion. The first part tended to drag along Rick Jones' storyline and wandering into the bar and the whole music bit. But once Marvell found out where Jan Rog was keeping Carol Danvers, the pace quickly picked up and the action sequences made up for the slower first half of this issue. Very clearly, this issue's most valuable players are the artists. Gil Kane provided the art for pacing pages 1 through 11. And then John Buscema is credited for pages 12 through 20. So literally a half and half. So for the focus on Rick Jones, which was Gil Kane's work, the style fits the story. Rick is in the foreground, always drawn in more detail, and the background characters take on a solid one color or monochrome muted tone. The use of multiple facial expressions and close-ups in a single panel really helped tell the tale by focusing on how Rick was impacted by those around him, especially when he was performing. Now, when you move to John Buscema's work, being pages 12 through 20, it is action, action, action. Exciting, lots of movement. Facial close-ups were very detailed. High emotion taking place to the point of almost exaggeration being depicted on both Marvell and Jan Rog's faces. In particular, the battle sequences between Captain Marvel and the Mandroid were amazing. From the character facial expressions to the sweeping action across the panels with the Mandroid firing its infrabeams. I mean, this stuff just popped off the page, and I, I loved it, just eating it up. And very clearly, I preferred Buscema's work over Kane's, but both were excellently done and are indeed the strength of this single issue. My recommendation for an audience, this really is an all-ages tale. It's uh, Yes, you've got some mild violence in there, but in indeed, it's a good guy versus bad guy. Good guy prevails in the end. And in the meantime, also saves Carol Danvers. So if you're looking for just a solid tale of good versus bad and a superhero beating a arch nemesis or, or enemy, then this is a great read. Now, we want to hear from you. Please let us know your impressions of Captain Marvel number 18. Join our conversation in our community on MeWe or leave us a message via the Anchor app. Excelsior! <laughs>